0: Leave it to Alfred Hitchcock to take something that is just as, as lovable and peaceful as birds and turn it into something horrific. Um, <laughs> kids, if you're, if, if you're watching that, you might want to get your parents' permission before you watch it. It's not quite as funny as that made it sound like, uh, that movie. Uh, I love it, Alfred Hitchcock. That's cool stuff. Isn't it amazing what you can do with a little bit of editing <laughs> and some, uh, some wacky music and, and turn what... Um, might be a, a negative thing into something that looks really, really funny and, and positive. Uh, today, we're going to see in a few minutes that Jesus uh, does a very similar thing. In fact, he talks, uh, he does this thing when it comes to birds, and uh, that it might be surprising to some of you guys. Um, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm Scott, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. It's so good to see you, see your faces here in here today. Those of you who are joining us by live stream, thank you so much for joining us by live stream. I love you. I'm so glad uh, you're, you're with us today. Um, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew 13. I'm going to talk pretty fast today. We've been diving into the parables of Jesus for a few, uh, a couple of weeks now, and uh, trying to unpack and understand this kingdom of God that Jesus came to proclaim. That was really the message that he came to proclaim, this kingdom of God. It turns out that was not only his ministry, but it's kind of the core calling and ministry of us, his disciples, the, this telling people, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. It's our mission, and it's important that we don't understand it, which is why that we don't misunderstand it, no, it's important that we don't misunderstand it, which is why we're spending some more time uh, this year. We all have to come back to this to try to make sure we're really wrapping our minds around this this idea of the kingdom of God, because it can be kind of like, what are we talking about? Are we talking about like going to heaven when you die? What are we talking about kingdom of God? And when we more and more that we understand, we're really talking about this kind of like alternative reality that is happening right now. Um, that you can step into. The blinders are, are pulled away from your eyes, uh, just, and you can see uh, allow God to move in your life. And when we talk about living in the kingdom of God, what we're really saying is to live as partners with God so that His will rules and reigns in our life. We're partnering with God so that His will uh, has His way in every facet of our life. Today, we're going to look at two parables, but they are very short. They're, they're Jesus gives them boom, boom. They're like, He tells them in rapid fire, and because uh, they both kind of tell the same thing in a different way. We're going to have a chance to dig into them, because today is the first time that Jesus, this parable is the first time that Jesus doesn't offer an explanation. Remember, He did for those first two, but He doesn't today. So we're kind of on our own. We're going to have to take up His challenge to have ears to hear and to do that sunyami. Remember that Greek word? It means to, to unpack the puzzle box and to put the pieces together, really lean in and listen to what Jesus is saying. But of course, we're not really on our own. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the Holy Spirit is going to be helping us out today. The first one we're going to look at has to do with a seed that is planted and turns into a tree. It's, it's one that's familiar with a lot of folks. But before we read it, In order to really understand what Jesus is saying and the impact it should have on us, I want us to kind of get in the mind frame of those early Jewish listeners, those first folks who were standing there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, hearing Jesus tell this parable, because trees, it turns out, mean something to the Jewish people. They are they're loaded with meaning. Let me give you an example. Listen to this description. from the book of Daniel. This is Old Testament. This would have been three or four hundred years before Jesus. From the book of Daniel, it's a description that's actually telling about the empire of Babylon. Listen to how uh, this mighty kingdom of Babylon is described. In Daniel chapter 4, these are the visions I saw while lying in bed. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually, he had a dream, and so he's He's relaying it to Daniel. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Does that sound maybe a little familiar? Anything else mankind tried to build in the Old Testament, reaching up to the heavens, maybe a tower perhaps? Its leaves were beautiful, fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds, the birds, lived in its branches. From From it, every creature was fed. So Daniel interprets this dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and is talking about the Babylonian Empire. It's pretty impressive stuff, this mighty superstructure, like the skyscraper of a tree here. As human beings, we are impressed with big, tall stuff, right? That, all that kind of all, tallest building in the world, that really impresses us, right? We're impressed by things tall and majestic. It's a sign of strength and might and power and dominance. Okay, let's look at this other. This is an example from the book of Ezekiel. Again, Old Testament. This is another prophet from the Old Testament. Let's see if we can see something here. In chapter 17 of Ezekiel, he says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. These are the the cedars of Lebanon. These were like idolized by the Israelites as just the most majestic trees on the earth, just the cedars of Lebanon. Um, I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoot and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. And on the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds hmm, 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 of every kind will nest in it, and they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. And all the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall trees and make low the tree, make the low tree grow tall. So here we're talking about Israel, the kingdom of Israel, It's this idea of Israel being compared to a mighty cedar the most majestic tree known to the people. And Jesus is about to tell today's parable. So when he does so, let's keep in mind the, what people will be thinking of when they think of these over-the-top symbols of power and dominance. This is what his Jewish listeners would be thinking about. When you talk about a kingdom that is going to grow into something mighty and everlasting, here's what they're thinking. Oh, okay, we're going to get into the cedars. Here we go. But of course, when Jesus describes his kingdom, he's always throwing a left hook isn't he? He's always doing these surprising things. He's defying expectations of what his kingdom's all about, spinning it in an unexpected way, saying, no, 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 it's not what you think. It's more like this. It's more like this. And, oh, to get back to Hitchcock for a second here, did you notice something else in those two descriptions of the big trees representing kingdoms? The birds, right? The birds, In the mentality of first century Jewish people, birds, very symbolic, Uh, the people listening to Jesus, they're on the shores of Galilee, birds always represented other nations, the Gentile nations, they were the birds, and because of that, by the time we get to Jesus, if you kind of think of the history that has led to that point, birds are bad omens, Right Birds are no good. We think of birds as like these sweet, pretty little things that sing and build nests, and so we like to take pictures of them or something like that. To the Jewish people, they had come to represent all of the evil invaders that had been coming, century after century, that had come and terrorized Israel. Birds had come in, in the form of empire after empire and destroyed the land. In fact, right now, at the time of this, the greatest superpower on the planet at the time, Rome had come in, not to just be nice, it, it, to, to, to come in peace, but they came in and invaded. So Rome was in charge now. And in fact, the symbol of Rome at the top of every pole of all those Roman soldiers, when they came in to take over, your town was a bird, big eagle, ah! right? That's the crane, that's not an eagle, that's something <laughs> from Karate Kid, but a big eagle, right? That was, that's, that, Jews would have been just like, yep, figures, here comes more birds. So this idea of birds coming in to invade your branches was not like a positive metaphor. That was not good news anymore. Um, I remember one time, it was late at night, I was at home, the kids were asleep, I think Mel was asleep in, in the bedroom, and I had fallen asleep kind of like in our little TV room we had at the time. Uh, watching TV, you ever do that, and, you know, and the, the is like falling off your chest, and I'm sitting there asleep. I don't know, it's probably like midnight by this point. And I hear And I'm kind of like half waking up like what? And there's like shadow goes across my face. And I'm thinking, is that one of those, is that one of these big Texas roaches? You know, that's the first <laughs> thing. My first fear is like, I've got to move, right? I'm gonna to have to move because there's a big roach that's flying around the room. I open my eyes, it's a bat. In the house. That's something that's never good news, a bat in the house. Nobody ever says, I got a bat the other day. we got a bat in the house. Nobody does that. Oh, my goodness. My heart is all of a sudden going 100 million miles an hour, and I'm, like, making my way through the room. I close the little doors, you know, to keep the bat in there while I go tell Melissa, uh, it's okay. <laughs> Don't freak out. There's a bat in the house. Just want you to know. And she's like, wow what, you know, so we're both, you know, and we're armoring up, you know, I've got my sword, which is the tennis racket from the garage, and my helmet of salvation, which is the laundry basket over my head, and, you know, armed with uh, kitchen, kitchen mitts, you know, we're, we're going to get this thing, and I don't know, it took us like an hour or two, three hours, I don't know how long, finally to get this thing out the back door, into the porch, and out the porch, and to fly back to his little bat cave to go fight crime, or whatever he did, but whew, that's something you never want, is a bat in the house. And we're, we lived in Austin for several years. We loved bats. You know, bats are like a, Have you ever been to Austin, seen the bats that fly out from the bridge? It's really cool, the Conquer Street Bridge. There's like a million bats, and they're like a wonder of nature just to see these things every sunset. There, there's the river and downtown, and the bats fly out, and they eat all the mosquitoes. Everybody loves bats there. You don't love a bat in your house. You just... Immediately, you start to become not a fan of bats. So this is kind of like the way Israelites Israelites would have thought of birds in the branches, right? It's like a bat in the house. Not good news. All right, let's get on into this. Here we go. Matthew 13, verse 31. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So notice he's continuing here with this same imagery we've been over the last couple weeks. This this idea of the seed and the small beginnings as a way to build this kingdom of God. It's sown into the hearts of people. Remember, it's sown into good soil. Um, it takes root and it grows. And it's a patient picture, right? It's a, it's a peaceful picture. There's no forced acceptance of the gospel at the end of a sword, right? That's not the way Jesus comes. It's not the way of Jesus. He says, my kingdom is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. So it's intentional. It's, this is a quiet image, right? This is gentle. And though it is the smallest of all seeds... And the mustard seed at the time of Jesus was the, the smallest cultivated seed of all the little farm seeds you would, you would plant in your garden. The mustard was the smallest. And yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. And yet when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants becomes a tree. Now, honestly, this is a bit generous uh, of Jesus to say about becoming a tree. It, trees get a bit of a stretch. Well, what we think this is a type of mustard, it's called like a black mustard that they have in uh, the Middle East there. And uh, usually it would grow, I mean, at a normal, like if it was a healthy tree, it might grow six feet tall, the size of a person. Um, really, a, you know, a really unusual prize-winning blue ribbon mustard, you know, would might grow to like 10 feet. But really it was a bush. That's what was known as a bush. So Jesus is hinting at the miraculous here. He is already hinting at the miraculous, that this small seed is not going to become a bush, it's become a tree. So Jesus says, you know, you think of the kingdom, when you think of the Messiah coming and the kingdom come, I know you're thinking of cedar trees, right? You're thinking of California redwoods, right? This is going to be the most majestic thing ever. But my kingdom is going to arrive like a mustard bush. And by the way, the the sources tell us that the mustard seed wouldn't even really have been one of the most desirable seeds back then for farmers to plant uh, because it had a tendency to take over like a weed. If you put it in your your garden, it would take over everything. And it was almost impossible to kill. However much you tried, you couldn't get rid of it. Pretty good description of the kingdom of God. Amen. And then he gets to the punchline, of course. Here's here's where everybody would have been leaning, leaning in. He gets his next line, so that the birds can come and impale themselves on the branches, yeah, right, so that the birds can come and the trees would reach out and grab the birds and throw them down like the whomping willow, right? <laughs> That's what people would be, be listening for, what's going to happen next here with these birds, right? So there'll be some force field around the tree and the, the birds would come and bounce off it like your, your back door. No, no, no. He says, so the birds can come and get cozy and find, find a home. What? Right, Jesus, no, 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 no. What, what's with all this namby-pamby peace stuff here, right? We, we, we live in this militaristic state, Jesus, right? We got birds all around us. They're attacking every day. They're out in the street right now. They're swooping into our lives. They're taking away our rights, mocking our faith. We wouldn't have any idea of what this feels like to them, right? What are you talking about? Birds in the branches. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, you're going... To learn to love your enemy. You're gonna love your enemy to death, not their death. You're gonna love them even if it means you die. And Jesus is not just gonna preach this, He's gonna show us what this life looks like in His death on the cross. We're gonna make room for the birds making room for the birds. Hmm. Now, Jesus has said stuff like this before, Uh, back before He was starting speaking in parables, when He was kind of doing the straightforward teaching. Over in Matthew chapter 5, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, you might remember earlier in the year, we looked at this. He said, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Powerful words, difficult words. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus says, You're gonna be like my dad. This is how you become more God like, when you learn to love your enemies the way that cross teaches us to. And this is one of those points that's decidedly countercultural in, in the teaching of Jesus. He's not just saying be a decent person. He's not just saying be a nice person. Some of us are like, yeah, I'm a pretty loving person, right? I'm a nice person. I'm a nice person. Is that what your spirituality amounts to? I'm bored already, right? (laughs) I'm nice. Most people in the world are basically pretty nice, right? At least 51% are probably pretty nice. Jesus is talking about something far deeper than Niceness. He is talking about actively initiating enemy love. Enemy love. This is central to the kingdom culture. Showing people, showing love to people who are not like you and may not like you. Showing love. There's got to be somebody that you know doesn't like you. Right? Anybody who doesn't have anybody who doesn't like them? come see me after service, I'll lend you one of my critics. (laughs) I love them all, I want to hold them close, but I'll lend you one, okay? Most of us have somebody who doesn't like us. Now, Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries about, you know, toxic people. It doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable for their actions, because sometimes that initiating goodness it means the, the best thing for them is, is confrontation. It means bringing accountability to their life. So sometimes love takes different, a different shape depending on what is going to help that person grow. But one thing that love is never, and that is passive. It's never passive, is it? It's not the option. Part of being just central to being part of the body of Christ is asking how can I initiate Love in the life of my enemy. That is countercultural stuff, people. How can I initiate love in the, in the life of my enemy? It's scary. It's exciting. And I know it is scary. But that's kingdom life. And it's anything but boring. If you're doing this right, your life is not boring. Amen? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. So it leaves me thinking, how can I... This is the challenge. How can I participate in this kingdom life partnering with God as a good ambassador. How do I love my enemies? We might give ourselves this challenge. Let's resolve to make space for those who are not like us and who may not like us. Let's resolve to make space for those who are not like us and who may not like us. This extends not only to you and me individually, like throughout your week, but to us as a church. We resolve. That's one of the things we resolve as a community, as a faith community called Generations Church. This one branch of the church that is right here, we resolve to make space for those who are not like us and who may not even like us. And that means understanding that this tree, this little tree right here that God has blessed us with, that He has grown in the community of Spring Woodlands, Conroe, Houston, right here. It is not just intended for you and me to enjoy and make our little nest in. We make room in these branches for everyone. Everyone, even to the point of initiating love for our enemies, as Jesus has clearly called us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Then it says, verse 33, so right after he says that, he says this next thing. He told him still another parable, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is like, oh, a woman baking bread. So gentle. It's nourishing, doesn't it? I love bread, obviously. It's like a woman who takes yeast and mixing it into the dough. Literally, that word mixing is, is, the, word, is the word for hiding. It's, the, it's a Greek word, crypto, where we get cryptic. Hiding. Why? I don't know. Is that okay to say? I don't know. Was there like like the secret yeast police who were like knocking on doors and looking for black market yeast or something? You got any yeast in there? Not a, no, nothing here to say. Just hiding it in the dough. I don't know. Another fascinating detail here, just as Jesus takes this idea of birds that we saw and he kind of flips that on its head as something that would have seemed like a negative to his listeners, and he turns it into this positive image of the kingdom of God. Yeast turns out to be this image to Jewish listeners in metaphors It always stood for the thing that corrupts. It was always a negative symbol for something to avoid. For instance, uh, in, their, in their holiday Passover, every year Passover, the whole family would get together and do a ceremonial cleaning of the whole house to get every little bit of yeast out of the house. It was just part of the thing. Get all the yeast out. So you can make that nasty matzah instead of, you know, (laughs) delicious yeast rolls. Um, One time Jesus told his followers to beware the yeast of the Pharisees, right? Meaning beware that corrupting influence of the Pharisees. So here what we see is Jesus takes this image that is normally this image, the symbol of worldly corruption, and he uses it as a catalyst for the growth of the kingdom. In fact, this bread literally won't rise without it. It won't rise without it. Also, interesting, did you see how much uh, she's, she's making here? 60 pounds. That's just a flour before you put the yeast in there, right? Don't miss that detail. This is a lot of bread. This is already filling half the kitchen, right? Even before it rises. This is a crazy amount of bread. This is an image of not only is this kingdom we're talking about kind of organic and gentle and slow, it's also nourishing, but it's not only just nourishing, it's she's making enough for more than just herself. This goes way beyond ourselves. This woman is not just making enough for her family, she's making enough for the whole village. This would have fed at least 100 people. And so he's painting, Jesus is painting this image of someone who is always preparing our something for, for more than just ourselves, more than just her own family, which really speaks to us as a church again, doesn't it? That we, what we do, we do what we do to make room for people who are not yet here. That is always on our minds here. This is not just for us. It is for the, also for those who are not yet one of us. There are empty seats in this room. There are empty spaces. There, are, there is room. There is enough bread being cooked in this kitchen right here this morning for not only the people who are here, but for the people who are not here. Uh, the money that we give in the offering is not just to pay the bills of those who are here, but to create space for those who are not here the way we move forward in this world, the conversations that you have throughout the week that you're going to have with different people as you're sowing and baking. Those conversations of sowing and baking are not just so that we can grow and, you know, be nice Christians. It's an invitation to others to come to dinner, to come and dine. That is what we're doing, come and dine. And so, you have a tree That makes space in its branches for the world. You have a feast of bread that gives nourishment to the world. Bread and branches. Food and shelter, isn't it? Bread and branches. Food and shelter for all who come and ask. There's this outward reaching picture. This others directed orientation of both of these parables. But they also reveal something else. Before we go, I want us to notice, and that is this theme of patience that is required. Mm. It's not always easy to embrace, is it? The disciples and lots of folks expected that Jesus was going to bring a kingdom that was swift and magnificent, that he was going to come. He was going to kick rear and take names and bring it in, Right? That's what was going to happen. It's not just the disciples that are like that. I am like that. I am like that. I want God to come and change my life with swift, magnificent action. Because I'm, one thing, I'm American, right? And there's one thing about us Americans. We love cheap junk quick. We want cheap junk quick, right? That is just like quintessential. Yes, I love homemade and take your time and handcraft and all that kind of stuff. You know, I go over to Mama Sophie's taco truck over there and she, she brings this meat out that just, it's right, I'm just giving her a plug right there. She's right over there. She, she's been stewing it all day. Homemade tortillas, it's taking her all day. Ha, ah, it's, it's amazing, right? And you hand her your money, and you just stand back and you wait because you know, oh, it's going to be so good. But if I need a taco in 15 seconds, I'm going to Taco Bell, Right? If I need a delicious french fry that will be amazingly hot and delicious for exactly 45 seconds before it turns to cardboard, I'm going to McDonald's. Right? That's just because I need cheap junk quick sometimes. But God is different from that. He is not a drive through worker at McDonald's. I don't know if you knew that. It's not just the disciples that forget the story or misunderstand the story, I forget the story. Sometimes I think if I just read the right self help book, if I just listen to the right podcast today, hear the right sermon on Sunday, my whole life is going to transform right now. Because I want instant and magnificent change. I want instant, magnificent change in my marriage. I don't want to have to work for it, I just want to change it, right? I want my kids to behave. I don't ask for much. Sometimes I just want him to behave. After that, it's just a bonus, right? But I don't want to have to work at it. I want to hear from God. But I just want him to talk to me like a human being. I want him to text me, shoot me a tweet, do something. I don't want the putting in the relationship to listen and dig in in order to work to hear his voice. But see, God's different than that. He's different than that. Even when it comes to his kingdom. As we see in these parables, you can't just describe everything about God and his kingdom in one quick soundbite. It has to be experienced, and that's where, where he's doing. He's trying to separate the crowd from the committed, those who want to lean in and experience it, who, who want to work that into their life like yeast into the dough. Today, I want to ask you just to close your eyes for a second, if you would. Meditate with me for a minute about the gentleness of these two pictures that Jesus painted for us this morning. How small the beginnings. How loving, even to one's enemies. How generous. How it refocuses us to serve others. And think about what the Spirit is saying to you and how you can apply this. Listen to these words. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field, the smallest of all seeds. Yet this seed grows into a tree and provides a perch for the birds. I can't help but when I hear these words think, wonder if when Jesus described this tree with its branches outstretched, did he perhaps foresee that other tree that he would hang on, that tree on which he would be crowned king of the Jews, on which he would be killed for our sins, that tree on which he would die loving his enemies. The kingdom of heaven is also like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And I wonder, would Jesus maybe have been thinking right then about the bread that he would someday share with his disciples before he gave himself? The bread that was a sign of his broken body. Jesus gave himself like a seed. And he said that seed has to be planted and it has to die in order for something beautiful to grow from it in order for something beautiful to grow inside me and inside you. May you experience the kingdom of God growing stronger and taller in your life this week. And right now it may seem like a really small beginning. You may not even be able to detect the kingdom of God happening. It's a seed you can barely see. May you allow that master gardener to come alongside you and water that seed, to prune that tree into something healthy and beautiful that offers shelter to a weary world all around you. May you allow him to work that yeast into your life, turn what just seems like a shapeless pile of flour into fresh baked bread. To be a blessing to you and a blessing to others. You know, all you need to do is to be willing. Just be willing. Be willing soil. Be willing dough. Let God's spirit do his work in you. Heavenly Father we ask that these words of Jesus from 2,000 years ago may they be made alive in our hearts right now Lord I pray that we will continue to hear you speaking that we would continue to let you wake us up, wake up our hearts to the truth of your kingdom, to the present reality of your kingdom Lord, prepare our hearts Lord For hospitality, for generosity, for welcome. Jesus, thank you that you came and not only spoke the word of God, but thank you for being the word of God, for showing us what these parables look like when they're lived out. I thank you, Lord, that you model for us the life of the kingdom in all of its gentleness and its courage. It's enemy love. It's kindness. The generosity towards people who are so desperate for you. People who are desperate for this bread of life, Lord God. Even toward those, Lord, who may think of themselves as our enemy. May we respond with love, with welcome, with patience, with forgiveness. So that they might become part of our family we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're here today and there's anything we can do, anything, any need that you have, be sure and send us that prayer request. We have a whole team of people that would love to pray with you. Amen. Uh, You can send it to us online. You can put the prayer request in the boxes, uh, the offering boxes. And uh, and just like, uh, again, Pastor Albert, my dad is going to be up front if there was if there's any of you who would like to have that personal one-on-one prayer that that prayer just someone to stand with you in faith and look you in the eye Amen. Come come and let, let him pray for you. Uh, for those of you who are bringing your tithes and your offerings today, uh, I just I encourage you to, you can bring them. There. We have offering boxes beside each side of the stage. We have offering boxes out in the, the foyers. And, uh, of course, you can give online. A lot of different ways you can do that. Amen. Would you stand with me right now? And so, my friends, let me bless you today. May the God who is able to do far and above all that you can ask or imagine. By his power working through you, may he be glorified in our life today. Grace and peace be with you.